that the best stories always seem to come out of the worst experiences at the time. So the guy says, we're going to take you out into the forest and shoot you. And I was just sort of like, oh, what? And then the guy just goes like, I'm not joking. If you want, you should phone your mothers and say goodbye. Hey, it's Alex Solinsky here, and you're listening to Go! The Travel Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to share a fun and interesting conversation I had with travel expert and agent, James Finnerty. Stick around after this. Before we begin, I want to say congratulations to Megan M. and Samantha P. for winning our Cocoon Innovations giveaway. This month, we're running another contest. We're giving away a travel-on anti-theft backpack that retails for $160. It's the perfect backpack for keeping your items protected when you travel. This episode is sponsored by LocalBeyond.com. Local Beyond. Think outside the cubicle. So James from earlier basically provides tours for people who want to do things that are more extreme than what's available. Did I explain that right? Kind of, kind of. So it's it's tours to kind of uh, unusual destinations. So you get a mix of people. So you get people who are one who are trying to visit, you know, every country on earth or a lot of countries. Some people who are looking for a bit of adventure or, I mean, what we get is actually a lot of people are interested in kind of uh, pol- politics and history. So a lot of these countries, you know, they've got like really interesting politics. You know, if you go to uh-huh. Iraqi Kurdistan, where we take people up in the north of Iraq, all of the history is super interesting and it's the recent politics. So, Wow, that seems so crazy to me. This That's incredible. So so you're like a tour guide, right? Well, it's cause we're like, because we're a small company, we, we all do a bit of everything. But mm-hmm. in my job, I sort of design some of the tours. So I come up with the idea, do all the research, design the trip. Then I also manage some of the destinations. So kind of designing and working with the local suppliers to come up with new stuff. Sounds kind of weird, but over time, some of these destinations, a lot of people are going to them. So we try and find more interesting things to do. So I'm taking people to run a marathon in Iraq in October. What? A marathon (laughs) in Iraq? That's crazy. So that's insane. So basically, you you're kind of like a a, a tour planner, a tour leader instead of a guide, right? Because you kind of have someone that's local who kind of does the the guiding thing, right? We have local guides in each country who do all the guiding, and then someone like me is there to make sure everything's going to plan to fix any problems, uh, and then also kind of help with the social aspect of a group trip, you know. So arranging dinners, maybe taking people out to a bar or two, depending on where you are, and things like that. So yeah. So how do people even find your company? You have a website, right? Yeah, we got a website, Facebook. It's called Lupine Travel. Lupine. How do you spell that? Uh L-U-P-I-N-E. Lupine Travel. We we don't we don't do much kind of advertising. We do Facebook, Instagram. Word of mouth has been big and we get a lot over the years we've gotten a lot of press. The craziest one is we were we had like a two-page spread in Playboy <laughs> once. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we just get oh like, gosh, it's a lot, a lot of it's word of mouth and then we get a lot of press just because, you know, it's kind of quite unusual what we do. So Yeah, that's really cool. So I actually came across you guys online. I read about this amazing uh, misadventure that you went on when you went through Latvia. And that's kind of why I have you on the show right now. 
So was this like a tour that you were giving? No. So this was um, years ago. I was I visited Chernobyl in in Ukraine once mm-hmm. before. It's actually through the company I now work for. But at the time, I'd gotten become friends with the guy that ran the company, and he had this special trip to the Chernobyl nuclear power plant where we had special access to go climbing on the roofs of some of the uh, the nuclear reactors. Ah, wow, that's really cool. So, James, for anyone that's not familiar with Chernobyl, do you think you can give us kind of like a rundown of what happened there? So, I, I'm, I'm awful with dates, but mm. I think it was in 86. Uh, I think they were doing some drills at the power plant to test emergency procedures and things like that, and it went wrong in the, the plant. Yeah, so the after plant. the interview, I went back to do some fact-checking, and I found out that it happened on April 26, 1986. The Chernobyl nuclear power station was the third nuclear plant built by the Soviet Union. Constructed in 1977 in what is now Ukraine, the plant lasted less than 10 years when there was an explosion. It was one of the worst nuclear disasters in history. The blast destroyed much of the power plant and sent radioactive material into the sky and the surrounding area. The Chernobyl nuclear power plant is actually next to a city called Pripyat. And then, so when they evacuated all the people, basically immediately. Soviet officials created an area over 18 miles in diameter around the plant that was designated for evacuation and placed under military control. Called the zone of alienation or the exclusion zone, where everyone was evacuated. Over time, as a lot of the radiation levels have dropped and sort of, you know, scientists have gone in and, you know, radiation doesn't fall uh, evenly. It's... Some areas are really bad. Some areas are actually fine. So they sort of mapped all of this out. There's a ministry in Ukraine for uh, handling, you know, things regarding to Chernobyl. They started running tours into it as, you know, generating a bit of revenue. But also the, the, hmm. the focus of the tours is very much education about what happened and like things like the projects that are going on in the zone now. So there's a Chinese company that's proposing turning the whole thing into to a giant solar farm because... It'd be really difficult to develop it into residential areas. That's really cool. So now there's people going there, right? You can actually go in there and explore the area, right? Yeah, so you can you can go on tours there now. And um, I like the company I work for. We run tours there. A lot of people just do day trips or, you know, you can go stay the night. We've had clients go and stay eight nights. And there's a hotel in the exclusion zone. And, you know, if you're really interested in the history, you can kind of explore the buildings and go see the rooms where the firefighters like discarded all of their gear. It's there's really, you know, if you're, if you're fascinated by what happened, there's a lot to see there. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, I would love to see it. I just can't imagine myself staying in an area where one of the worst nuclear disasters had ever happened. Now I hear the city itself is very abandoned and it can be kind of uh, eerie. Can you kind of describe the setting, describe what that was like? Yeah, so when you when you get to Pripyat, it's it was a city of it's 50 to 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. And I think as they say in the introduction to a level of Call of Duty, it's like had 50,000 people lived here and now it's a ghost town or something like that, but it's it is a ghost city basically full of uh, you know old style communist apartment blocks quite overgrown now by greenery so there's trees everywhere there's a football stadium where the pitch is now a forest which is quite an unusual thing to to see um and one thing that's i find my favorite thing having been there is that it's quite weird to be in a city and it be silent apart from the sound of birds chirping so it's and it's it's kind of like slightly eerie and it's very tragic because you go into a lot of the you know the schools there or some of the apartment buildings and see people's apartments 
and it, you know you can kind of appreciate that people were evacuated you know sort of right you've got five minutes to pack a bag and get out there's uneaten meals on tables that have obviously decomposed but wow people call it dark tourism and some people say that it's kind of morbid but what i've always found is visiting places like chernobyl or you know uh somewhere like auschwitz in poland is it, it really brings history alive and when you read about history in a book it's, for me at least it sometimes it can n- not feel you know totally real and you visit this place and all of a sudden it becomes a very very real thing and you appreciate what happened and the significance and the tragedy and the importance of you know these kind of studying atrocities and you know how do they affect policy in the world going forward to prevent things like that happening again it's it just really brings history to life, I guess, is my point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, in preparation for this video, I actually went on YouTube to do some, you know, some studying about the history behind this. And I actually came across some footage of the city, Pripyat, and uh, the power plant as it looks like today. And it's really haunting. It looks like, you know, what the planet would look like if human civilization just ended overnight. It's, it's that's really, that's a good point because it's... On top of you know saying like the the greenery coming back into the city, all of the wild the animals is the population of the animals there is thriving. You know, there's uh like the highest population of bears in Europe is sort of in that area, and it's become a bit of a conservation area. And as you say, you know, if people disappear, nature reclaims. You know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So for anyone listening in right now, Lupine Tours is doing a couple of tours next year at Chernobyl. If you're interested in checking them out, you can find them on lupinetravels.com. They're giving tours in North Korea, Iran, Cuba, Antarctica, and much, much more. So James, you seem to do this sort of off the beaten path kind of travel. What does that mean to you? Like, how how would you describe it? It's sort of... You know, places where not a huge amount of people go. I mean, I do I do regular tourism as well. I, you know, going like I love going to places like Japan and South Korea. But these places that are a little bit off the wall. One thing I really enjoy doing is the, some of these places researching how to go to them can be, you know, a challenge in and of itself. I, you know, I'm designing the, the time kind of doing independent travel to somewhere like Transnistria, uh, like a Soviet breakaway state in Moldova. It was quite a hard thing to do. And I kind of enjoyed the challenge of arranging the logistics and then also going to these places that are usually like politically interesting. And there's another nice, well, and the kind of nice thing is is traveling somewhere where that you know when there's no not many other tourists there, you kind of feel like you found something kind of a bit more difficult to find. Right, right. I totally get that. There's definitely this sort of cool thing about finding a place that hasn't been discovered before. I mean, in some random places, they might not even have the infrastructure for tourism, so you're not going to get a lot of people coming there to visit. But you can also find some really really cool gems that a lot of people might not have seen before. But there's also nothing wrong with like taking the well-beaten travel path either. I'm not berating regular tourism because uh, like me and me and my girlfriend are driving to Belgium next next month, and that's going to be an amazing trip. But then I also like to do stuff like go to South Ossetia in Georgia, Russian occupied territory, and stuff like that. For so sure, yeah. That's kind of what I think it is. Is these it's places that not many people go, but if you if you really do your research, there is there does tend to be a lot of cool stuff to see in some of these places. Yeah, so I can imagine that some of the locals in these far off places look at you and they're like, "Who is this person? What are they doing here?" Or like, I guess some places don't even have many restaurants that can, or even a restaurant that can handle like a large group of travelers. I mean, yeah, it depends where you go. I mean, yeah, you sometimes find there might be one hotel in a town or something like that. 
Um, but yeah, some places you go and you'll get people will kind of stare at you because they they don't know why on earth there's a tourist there, especially in places like kind of more rural areas in say Russia and China. I found that and rural areas in Central Asia. But then in some countries, especially I find a lot in African countries, in some of the areas where they have a bad reputation because there was say conflict ten years ago. Um, like and a good example is I've been to Somaliland, which is like a safe region of Somalia a couple of times. And you go there and people, they come up to you in the street and shake your hand and say, you know, thank you for coming because their region is safe now, but no one goes there because it was dangerous. And, you know, they they like it when if tourists start to come, it could maybe change perceptions of uh, their region. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I bet a lot of these places could really benefit from the income of tourism. But there is something about traveling to a place where there's poverty and they don't really have a lot of tourists. Like uh, in Tijuana, Mexico, for example, uh, I've heard a lot of a lot of friends that have said that cops will stop people with American license plates and fine them for small things and demand that the fine be paid in cash. So corruption can be quite a problem in these places. Is that something that you've ever experienced or encountered on your travels? Um, I've, I've been quite lucky. I mean, the only uh, I had one run in with some police in a, a city called Osh in Kyrgyzstan. And uh, it was just like a drunk. There were eight police officers in a couple of cars. And there's like a regular scam where they'll ask to see your passport and then they make up some sort of indiscretion and they want a fine. And the fine happens to be exactly whatever amount of money you have in your wallet. Um, <laughs> but the guy, this police officer, was was one of them was really drunk, the instigator. And uh, I, I'd actually just taken out quite a lot of money from an ATM to fund the next couple of weeks. If I'd had $10, you know, you probably would have just gone, look, you know, take take the bribe. But I had a few hundred dollars on me. So I just played stupid um, for about 30 minutes. And he finally got bored and let me go. But um, it was pretty sketchy. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, in terms of run-ins with police, I mean, like going back to the thing of in towns where people don't expect to see a foreigner. I've been in rural cities in China where the police have taken me to the police station just because... They, they they think, oh, there's a there's a foreigner. Maybe we're supposed to do something. They get me to the police station. They go, oh, actually, well, maybe we're not supposed to do anything. And they'll <laughs> they'll photocopy your passport and then just let you go. And they're sort of and they'll be taking selfies with you and stuff. <laughs> but I've never I mean, that's probably the only uh, run ins with locals. Never anything, anything super crazy. I mean, I, ha I have quite a lot of tattoos. So sometimes I normally try and cover them up if I visit like, a really conservative religious part of part of the world. But sometimes yeah. someone will see them. And, you know, sometimes I've had people tap me on the shoulder and point at tattoos and kind of go like, oh, no, 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 no. So I, I try and be respectful and keep them covered. And, mm -hmm. But no, nothing, 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 nothing major. Yeah. So it seems like you've been pretty lucky considering all the places you've been for work. But before you got into Lupine Travels, you had a different job, right? You were a software engineer? Yeah, I, used to, I was at the time I was working with a guy. Uh, I was working as a software engineer in London. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's quite a change. Software engineer to North Korean tour guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite a change. Um, this guy I worked with, he'd always wanted to, to travel, you know, do solo independent travel, but he never knew how to arrange it. So um, I said to him at work, you know, oh, if you want to come along the trip, like I can do the research, 
show you how I do it. And then I'll tell you how to book everything, you know, booking trains in a foreign country and uh, booking all the accommodation. And that way he could learn to kind of do these arranged trips himself. And yeah, after, after spending a few days in Ukraine and Belarus, then we ended up in Latvia. Okay. Yeah. And from my understanding, uh, you went there to shoot AK-47s, right? Yeah. So I'd been shooting AK-47s in a before. Obviously, in the UK, it's you know guns are pretty illegal. Handguns are completely illegal in all circumstances, unless you're a police officer. And even then, it's special types of police officers. So there's sort of a bit of a curiosity about guns because they're kind of quite forbidden at home. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I never really thought of that because in the US, the gun culture is is a little more uh, common. Um, okay, so now you're in Latvia, and for anyone listening that doesn't know where that is, it's in Eastern Europe, uh, sandwiched between Lithuania and Estonia. So when me and my friend were going on this trip, I said, oh, you know, I've, I've been shooting before. It's kind of interesting. If you're interested in learning about guns, it's a fun thing to go and do. We found a, a company in, in Riga, in Latvia, that uh, would take you on a shooting tour, you know, pick you up, take you to a shooting range. Uh, they own their own guns at the range, so you kind of, you know, they let you use their guns. You pay for the ammo. It was kind of, it was marketed a bit like a, it's more of a stag party company, you know, like a bachelor party company, mm-hmm. which may become more relevant later in the story. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so my friend was like, yeah, you know, that sounds like an interesting thing to go and experience. So we we prepaid for these shooting packages. Um, my friend just paid for like a basic one, you know, like AK forty seven. And then like eight, ten rounds with a, a few pistols, like a Glock and a Wolf uh, PPK and a couple of other famous pistols and things like that. But yeah, we paid for them in advance and I paid for this crazy top of the range package, which included hand grenades and various other things. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. How did you find these guys? Did you just go online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, You can still find it. I think it's King of Shooting. They've got... They've got <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be a good advert for them or a bad one. I think it's called King of Shooting, and they have they 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 run this these shooting trips in eight cities in in Europe. You know, a few in Poland, Ukraine, Lithuania, Latvia, Eastern Europe, and slightly Central Europe. Okay, so so James, set the stage for us. You're you're in Riga or Riga, the capital of Latvia. How does this tour start? Yeah, so we're, we're stood on a street corner in the center of Riga. And, you know, you, you don't know what to expect. Like, is a taxi you're going to turn up with a guy in it. And, I mean, a top-of-the-range Audi pulled up, like a really expensive Audi. And these two guys in the front kind of, I don't know if you call it like a stereotypic kind of gangster look, but jeans, leather jackets, shaved head, like scar on the head kind of thing. And they're going, hey, you know, you guys here for the shooting? And we're like, yeah, yeah. So I'll get in the car and I'm right. Okay. So that's, that's how it started. Two gangsters tell you to get in their Audi. And, and so what's going through your head? Like, do you have any hesitation? Uh, like, I mean, it all seemed fun. They're quite like quite a well-reviewed company. So no, it all kind of seemed fine at that point. It was just not entirely what I was expecting. Yeah. That's kind of an abrupt introduction. So what happens next? They start driving us off to, to where the shooting range is and they're kind of, cracking awkward jokes i think i was saying something like oh we're going quite far out into the suburbs can i can i swear on your podcast or not oh yeah 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 so the guy says i I was like where are we going and he says um we're gonna take you out into the forest and shoot you and i was i said what (laughs) and he just goes oh no i'm only kidding like we're motherfuckers but we're not those types of motherfuckers and i was like that's that's not a a great start (laughs) 
No, not a great start at all. So yeah, then they they pull up outside the shooting range. So it's it's like it's uh, in an old underground bunker. So there's a door at the top of the stairs. Okay. And they knock on it, and no one answers. Uh, they they seem a bit agitated, and then they explain to us that because there's only two people with a license to run a shooting range in Latvia, apparently, or in Riga, um, there's so much demand that the people that run it are sometimes a bit unprofessional. So the the guy that runs it had gotten drunk and was hungover and hadn't come in to open up the shooting range. And he said he was going to come along in three or four hours or something. At this point, they said it was, oh, you know what? We can drive you back to your hostel and then we'll pick you up again later. They're really apologetic. Or they said, or if you know what, we own a bar. If you want, you can come to our bar. We'll give you, we'll give you a couple of beers for free and then we'll go handle assault rifles. It's 10 a.m. in the morning at this point. <laughs> so what was this place like at 10 a.m.? Yeah, so they said we were going to their bar. They drive us off into the suburbs and then... Uh, we pull up to this, uh, I can best describe it as like a mansion with an electric gate in a suburban area with a wall around it and bars over all of the windows and loads of security cameras. And they say, like, oh, we're here. We pull into the driveway and the gate shuts behind us. And I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no idea for sure. <laughs> so what did you do next? So we followed these guys into the back door of the house, which... You know, when you tell a story a few times, I think you embellish it. But I swear I remember the guy opening the door with a thumb, like a thumbprint reader, like pressed it and it unlocked the door. But I think I it <laughs> could be my memory playing tricks with me. And yeah. We go in and there's just a swimming pool in the middle of the house. And next to it is a bar with three stalls with cream leather. And he was like, welcome to our bar. And I was like, well, that's not really what we were kind of expecting. Well, yeah. Um, so they tell us that uh, like a bottle of Corona Mexican beer is seven euro, but we can have two for free. If we want any more, we have to pay seven euro. So that was just kind of awkward. And we kind of sat mm-hmm. down. I remember downing the first beer pretty quickly just because of the awkwardness of the situation. And then got the second one. So now you're in this bar drinking a seven euro Corona in, in an Eastern European suburb. Yeah, they they asked us, I, as, as I started kind of relax a little bit, they one point said, oh, actually, this isn't a bar. This is actually the, the, the best brothel in Latvia. <laughs> um, so I didn't really know what to make about that. Kind of like awkwardly laughed it off. After a few beers, I just kind of thought, oh, you know what? Uh, I started asking them questions. And I was like, oh, you know, so what's it like running... The, the number one brothel in Latvia. <laughs> and they just like start complaining about their clients. And, I, you know, it's not something I've ever really done before is frequent a brothel. <laughs> but they started to say, I was like, oh, what's a bad client? And they say, oh, you know, guy who comes here and buys one beer and goes off with a girl for one hour. And I was like, I didn't want to say it, but I, was like, I would always kind of imagine that's sort of what a lot of people would do in a, in a I don't know. But uh, they seem pretty, <laughs> pretty annoyed that there's people like that. They, um, <laughs> I probably I don't want to get done for libel, so I won't say names, but they sort of listed a load of like famous clientele of their brothel. Like they had a photo of a like a Hollywood star at the bar we were at, and then also sort of uh, members of the diplomatic community in Riga, so some like embassy staff from other countries and things like that. But I, I won't mm-hmm. I won't say too many details. <laughs> but do you think they might have been suckered in the same well, way? Yeah, possibly. Maybe they just innocently booked a shooting trip and ended up in a in this place with like <laughs> with blackmail blackmail photos being taken of them and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as I'd been asking them loads of questions about what they did for a living, they decided to ask, ask us what we did for a living. And uh, at the time, we were both working writing software for a company that provided software to gambling companies. So I said, all right, so we write software for the gambling industry. 
And they were just like, all oh, right, so you guys must have a lot of money. And I was like, oh, man, I knew immediately thought oh, I've made a mistake. I've made a big mistake here. Um, and the guy just goes, oh, you make a lot of money. Maybe you can come back here tonight and break the brothel record. And I was just like, oh, man, you know, you just sort of start. I don't know how, how you handle that sort of thing, but you just kind of awkwardly smiled and laughed. That's sort of what I was going for. So what was your friend doing while all this was going on? Lovely guy. I think a little bit naive at the time. He's much older now. But he sort of said like, oh, what's the brothel record? And they go, seven? And he was like, seven what? And they go, oh, seven girls at the same time. So he just, as you do if you're know if you good at maths, he just sort of out loud starts doing the arithmetic. And they'd said <laughs> it was 50 euro an hour, hour. So it was like, oh, seven. So to break it would be eight. For one hour, that'd be 400 euros. I could probably afford to do that. And I, they don't realize you, you're not serious. <laughs> so the guy's like, a guy got to make a call. Like, oh yeah, we'll make it happen. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, he's joking, he's joking. He doesn't, he doesn't mean it. He was just kind of curious. So uh, eventually they kind of realized that we weren't going to spend any money. They were trying to kind of push us to, you know, they were, kept saying like, oh, the girls are upstairs if you want to go have some fun. And after a while, they realized that we weren't going to spend any money in, in their brothel at all. So they said, oh, look, we'll drive you back to your hostel and we'll pick you up later. Um, so, that, so that's what we did. Uh, we got back to the city center and I was kind of like really, really conf- kind of conflicted about because it was so sketchy. When we went back to the hostel, I went on the internet to see if like the legality of what they were doing, you know, is it like the Netherlands where running a brothel is actually legal? So maybe these guys, it's not as bad as it seems. It's like, yeah, no, it is. It is pretty legal. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, okay, this isn't, this isn't great. But then the frugal part of me was going, well, we've already paid. So (laughs) yeah, you've paid a lot of money for this experience and you don't want to just let it go to waste. So, okay. So now you're at the hostel and you're waiting for the guys to come back. So what happens next? Okay. So when they came to pick us back up later that day, we we did go back off. So this is kind of where it started to escalate a bit as we're driving towards where I now know the shooting range to be. They just drive past the shooting range. And I was like, oh, like, where are we going? And one of them just turns around and goes, you better phone up. There was like, you, you need to get out your credit cards and pin numbers and we're going to play a game of whether you live or die. And then, you know, I just looked at my friend in the back seat and you know that thing, that feeling where all the blood rushes out of your body and you just kind of feel weak. For sure, and then yeah. we're just sort of like, oh, what? And then the guy just goes like, I'm not joking. If you want, you should phone your mothers and say goodbye. And I was like, what? What? And then just... It felt like five minutes, but it might have just been 10 seconds. And then he just turns around and goes, oh, no, we're just joking. And then they pull a U-turn on the freeway and go go back to the shooting range. And I was like, I, I, was, I was still like freaked out. And I was kind of like, probably not as angry as I should have been about it. In hindsight, what I think it was is that because looking at their website, most of the most of their clients, it's like stag parties, bachelor parties. If you've got 10, 10 drunk guys at a minibus and you say something like that to them, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, well, two guys versus 10 guys and not, not really going to be able to rob you easily. Um, yeah. But if it's just two guys in the back of a car in the middle of the day, it's it's way, way, way more kind of freaky. So they, they drive us back to the shooting range at this point. And this one, I don't even want to shoot any guns at all. I just want to go home. So I just get my like AK-47 with a clip in it, just pound it into the wall, uh, just go through all of these guns that I paid quite a bit of money for all of, the, all of this ammunition and just fire it all off pretty quickly. 
And then I don't even know why I asked the guy, but at the end I was like, you know, I paid about $40 for, for a hand grenade. I was like, oh, do you, do you have the hand grenade? Mm-hmm. Sounds really bad, that actually. But the guy's like, oh, like, I'm really sorry, James. Uh, we were unable to get you a hand grenade. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. And he goes, but what we can do is if you want, you can come back in the future and we'll, we'll sort it out. Or we can go back to my house and you can have an explosion and you can have an explosion there. And I was like, I don't really want to go back to the to the brothel and, I don't know, like throw high powered fireworks in the garden. He's like, no, 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 no. It's one hour voucher explosion in bedroom. I was just like, oh, my God, no. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just please drive us back to the hostel. It's like, no, no, no. I'll email you a voucher. I'll email you a voucher. And then, yeah, it's true to his word. About a week later, I did get emailed a voucher for an hour's credit. Um at, at the brothel? At the brothel, yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh. I, I need to dig it out because I've got it somewhere. But um, yeah, it's to say I've never, never thought about using it. But yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, after all that, me and my friend, I think we went back into Riga and just got drunk, really drunk. <laughs> That is an amazing story. It's not not too bad. It's not too bad. It was pretty. It's it's the funny thing is that the best stories always seem to come out of the worst experiences at the time. Like you know, if you've ever been like you know your car's broken down, you're stuck in a storm or something. It's miserable at the time, but it can be quite. You get quite funny stories out of it. Thank you so much, James Finnerty, for being a part of this travel podcast. If anyone listening has a story that's similar or maybe humorous, crazy, whatever, we'd love to hear it. Share it with us. Find us at gothepodcast.com. Go to our contact page and reach out to us. We'd love to hear it. You've been listening to Go The Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Walensky. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to check out our social media pages and find out more about the contest and how to win.